Hey, good morning. It's Patricia Murphy. It's Friday. This is Seattle Now. This week, big tech shrunk by way of layoffs. Lawmakers considered new bills, including legalizing psilocybin for mental health treatment and lowering the amount of alcohol it takes to be considered impaired behind the wheel. We're breaking down the week with freelance science journalist Jane C. Hu and Rachel Bell, the host of the Your Last Meal podcast. But first, let's get you caught up. More news from the Seattle City Council. Shama Sawant says she won't run for re-election again. That means four of the seven city council races this fall won't have an incumbent running. Say goodbye to the Nike store downtown. King 5 reports the store will close for good today. Apparently, a sign went up Tuesday directing customers to Nike.com. You may not miss the swoosh, but how about the downtown Regal Cinema? That's closing, too. Regal's parent company filed for bankruptcy in September. Regal Downtown is one of 40 locations around the country that will close as a result. And sad news. Yesterday marked the last print editions of the Seattle Chinese Post and Northwest Asian Weekly. The papers were started by Asunta Ng in the early 80s and were both a resource and a chronicle for Seattle's Asian communities. Ng told the Seattle Times she kept them operating when COVID hit as a service to her readers. But the print business just isn't sustainable. Northwest Asian Weekly will continue publishing stories online, but the Chinese language post is gone for good. It's Friday again, and not a moment too soon. Lunar New Year is Sunday. This week, Seattle City Council member Shama Sawant is out. The three-term incumbent says she won't run again. This following an announcement by Joy Hollingsworth that she plans to run for Sawant's seat. Sawant, of course, the council's only socialist member, and she's been there since 2013. In her announcement, she says she'll start a national org called Workers Strike Back that will launch here in March. In the meantime, District 7 Council Member Andrew Lewis says he's going for a second term. Jane C., who is here, she's a freelance science journalist. Really glad you're here, Jane. Thanks for taking the time. Thanks so much for having me. And Rachel Bell is here, host of the Your Last Meal podcast. Rachel, Rachel, really glad to have you here. Thanks, Trish, Trish. <laughs> Rough week for some tech workers, you two. Another round of new layoffs. This time it was Microsoft. Seattle Times reports they're cutting 10,000 jobs, about 878 of those here in the Seattle area. Also, workers at Amazon started getting pink slips this week. Those layoffs were announced a few weeks ago. Microsoft said the cuts were due to, and this is a quote, macroeconomic conditions and changing customer priorities. We'll have to watch Twitter and LinkedIn, though, because the company really isn't saying where it plans to trim at this point. You know, Jane, other tech companies take their cues from companies like Microsoft and Amazon. These moves could have real ripple effects on our local economy. Yeah, I've been wondering if this is going to cool down our housing market even more than it's already been cooling. But I also don't know that this is a big enough set of layoffs to really make a dent in our tech industry, honestly. Um, I've just actually seen a survey that uh, was sent out in the middle of last year after some tech layoffs, and it turned out that 79% of tech workers found jobs within three months again. Um, and I think 30-some percent found new jobs after a month. So 
kind of feels like, you know, there's still a lot of demand for tech jobs around here. Folks are maybe even using it as an opportunity to uh, negotiate up for themselves. It's less than 5% of Microsoft's workforce overall. But the one thing I think about when I hear, you know, tech layoffs is there are actual people behind these layoffs. And even if you're finding a new job, the emotional blow of losing your job, of feeling that insecurity is huge. You know, Rachel, I'm really feeling for these people because even with severance, it makes my stomach hurt to think about it. Yeah, the few people I know in tech, I feel like I'm in a creative bubble of people in different professions, but the few I know said the thing that kind of kills them is just waiting to see if they're on the chopping block. You know, they make these announcements and then you just sit around and wait and the office is just full of anxiety and people don't know who's going to go. Uh, so, you know, a couple of my friends were saying like, just do it or don't do it. Uh, and, and the thought was that, you know, if they do it as an anticipation of a recession that may or may not come, you know, they might rehire people back or, you know, hire new people to fill those positions in another six months. Yeah, there's an emotional piece to this that is pretty difficult, I think. There's also HB1 visa holders, you know, who are under the gun to try to find a new job to stay in the country. And that's just not like a single person. That's an entire family mm -hmm. in some cases of people who need to restart. But Jane, like you said, also opportunity here for smaller tech companies to grab talent some experts are saying this is a correction from the pandemic hiring explosion. This could provoke people to like move further out. Um, I mean, it is expensive to live here. If folks are, you know, losing their jobs, even if they can find a new job quickly, um, kind of being able to take that pause and thinking about, well, what do I really want to do? Where do I want to be? Could I get a remote job and live somewhere cheaper? Um, I feel like that must be a question people are asking themselves right now. Absolutely. Moving on, the Washington State Legislature is back in session and lawmakers have some interesting bills to consider this session. Among them, the Psilocybin Services Wellness and Opportunity Act. This is really interesting. Jane, I want to go to you on this because you write a newsletter called The Microdose that's all about psychedelics. So tell us a little bit about what this new law would mean for Washington. Essentially, um, it is copying what is going on in Oregon. Um, so folks may or may not know that in 2020, um, Oregon passed something called Measure 109, um, which essentially establishes psilocybin services in Oregon. Um, and they've taken the last two years to appoint an advisory board and really figure out all the rules of how that's gonna work. Um, and as of January 1st, technically psilocybin services are open in Oregon. Um, currently they're still in the process of you know, like getting everyone properly licensed and actually getting those service centers like off the ground. Um, but if Washington passes this bill, we could be looking at something pretty similar here. You know, and we're not talking about like recreational use here. Let's just clarify. This is a therapeutic experience that people uh, pursue because they have things like anxiety, depression, PTSD. Right. Yeah. Um, so one interesting thing about Oregon's bill, as well as this Washington bill, um, I believe, is that you cannot mandate folks to have like a referral. Um, so this is for therapeutic use. You are going to a service center, which means you get a dose there and you're monitored the whole time and you kind of have to hang out until that dose subsides. Um, but you're not required to like actually show a medical reason for it or like have a letter for or a referral. Yeah. Yeah. You know, 
Rachel, I am not at all surprised to learn about the beneficial effects of psilocybin mushrooms. Um, but I am surprised to see that we may be chipping away at the stigma associated with them. You know, I grew up in the 80s and it was just say no and dare and all of those messages. But that has really changed. That has really changed. Yeah. And, you know, I remember reading about the fact that, you know, scientists and doctors were really researching and using psychedelics in a medicinal way. And then actually it was, I believe, Timothy Leary's fault for, uh, you know, popularizing it in a recreational way. And then that's how the stigma started. You know, once people got the idea that, you know, all, all these long haired hippies are out there doing acid or whatever, but, you know, I think we've learned with marijuana, you know, it's been legal medicinally for quite a long time now. And, you know, in our state and many others, you can buy it recreational. I think people are saying, oh, this hasn't changed our society for the worse. Nothing has changed at all. You know, there's still a lot of drunk driving, but there's not as much going on, you know, negatively with marijuana. And so I think especially using psychedelics as a therapeutic drug, what if, if they're testing it and it's fine, I mean, what could be the problem? What's the difference of that or any of the number of drugs that are prescribed that have all kinds of side effects? One area of developing research is what might be pre-existing conditions where you might want to stay away from psychedelics. Mm -hmm. um, but for instance, often people with bipolar disorder are um, kind of warned away from trying to participate or any kind of um, like schizophrenia, for instance. But I feel like people are even trying to dig into that a little bit to mm. see whether that's just kind of a, a persisting um, stigma from before or whether there actually is some interaction between having um, those kinds of mental health issues and taking psychedelics, whether that could actually make it worse. And then, of course, you've probably heard about cases in which people have bad experiences, which does happen. And I think that's one thing that the industry is really grappling with is how do we give people a realistic sense of what they can expect? Because while, you know, there are clinical trials showing that these drugs can be really effective in helping folks, um, not everyone has a great experience. Yeah, because I would imagine the therapeutic experience is the most important part of that equation, right? And if you're in a situation where this type of therapy is not going to work for you, you definitely want that warm handoff. But, you know, the fact that we're even talking about this and researching this is, is just amazing to me. You know, the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs has used psychedelics like MDMA and psilocybin that really show promise with PTSD and veterans. And it will be really interesting to see if this bill becomes a reality because of the accessibility piece that was built into it, which I think is one of the most important aspects of the bill. From drugs to alcohol, you two, another proposed bill would lower the legal blood alcohol concentration limit from 0.08 to 0.05. State Senator Jack Lovick sponsored this legislation. Lovick used to be a state trooper, so in that way, it's personal for him. He has seen the devastating results of drunk driving. Opponents, Rachel, say 0.08 based on sound science, and it doesn't need to be changed. One of the bill's chief opponents is the Washington wine industry. I think the problem is, is that alcohol lands with everyone differently. And so, you know, if you're a big guy, 
0.08 is different than if you are, you know, a five foot tall woman. And so I think that they're just trying to cover their bases, honestly, with people of all sizes. Uh, cause it is kind of an interesting, if, if you're going to go on science, then maybe there should be a more, you know, one, not a one size fits all approach if they want to get into it, because it's going to be different for everybody. So that's what I think that they're doing. I don't know. Maybe there needs to be more resources on the other side, you know, cabs, like ever since the pandemic, um, has kind of winded down and Ubers have come back. They are so expensive. It's so expensive. And I'm wondering if DUIs are going to start going up because so many people have stopped wanting to pay to take an Uber. They might just be driving home instead. Rachel, I'm totally with you on that. I mean, I feel like the, while I totally am for this change, I think that the real way that we're going to get people to not drink and drive anymore is to invest in infrastructure to make it easier for people to get around without having to drive. Um, I mean, I can't tell you how many times that I have uh, wanted to go out and have had this whole like, oh, I guess I could spend 45 minutes on a bus. And that way, you know, I don't have to be worried about how much I'm going to drink before I try and come home. Um, but then realizing like, oh, the car ride would be 10 minutes. I did read a study that found that states with lower BAC limits, split alcohol content limits, reduced alcohol related crashes with mm. the change. But I think your point is really interesting because what we are really talking about here is accessibility to, you know, a designated driver, whether or not that's a train or a bus or somebody in your group, and a real responsible substance use conversation, right? Because we're not just talking about alcohol. Like, we are talking about alcohol because of this law, but there's a lot more on board. We have legalized marijuana, right? There's a lot of potential impairment on the roads. And when you think about it, the conversation about drunk driving was pushed by groups like Mothers Against Drunk Driving. We don't have any equivalent like that right now. We don't have moms mm -hmm. against driving stoned or something like that. Like there's no push campaign, I feel. Um, so really, you can lower the blood alcohol limit, but who are you talking to? Because the people yeah. who are also already being responsible about their use don't need this conversation. How do we break through to the people who kind of go, well, you know. And Jane, you did the math, right? A 150-pound person could have two drinks and drive. Is that what you said? That's right. Yeah. And I think it's like if you're 100 pounds, you can have one drink. Um, and I mean, and these days... I I guess I maybe shouldn't say on public radio I weigh exactly. Um, but I mean, these days I haven't been drinking that much uh, over the pandemic. I discovered that I'm very much a social drinker, and you know, I didn't have a lot of people to drink with since we weren't seeing people. Um, but my tolerance is just zero now. And after a single drink, I'm like, okay, this is definitely the limit of what I feel like is safe to drive. Um, that how much time goes by also really makes a difference, right? Mm -hmm. Like having a drink and then like leaving after an hour um, makes a bigger difference than if you are gonna, you know, have a drink and then hang out for a couple hours. So yeah, it's interesting to hear, you know, the weight versus the drinks, because I think most of us don't know how much we can drink, you know, before we should stop driving. So, I mean, I was thinking about how they sent out all the free COVID tests, you know, maybe there can be something where there are breathalyzers in bars, but you could have like a little piece of plastic you put over it every time somebody uses it. I've like, seen this. I feel like I've seen this, Rachel. Really? <laughs> My husband's family, um, his uncle, when his cousin, I think when she turned 18, I guess, realistically, when we know a lot of young people start drinking, 
um, his uncle bought a breathalyzer and we were just playing around with it one Thanksgiving. And I mean, I don't actually know how much those things cost, but it feels like kind of a harm reduction device, right? Like having something like that on hand for people to try. I feel like there are people who would maybe want to check before they get in a car, like who might feel borderline and just are curious. And it goes back to that bigger conversation, right, about responsible use, about how to use these things that take our eyes away from the thing we're supposed to be doing. Well, one last Senate bill before we go. Washington was the birthplace of pickleball, Bainbridge Island to be exact. Now you could have the opportunity to flaunt your pickleball pride with a snazzy new state license plate. Senate Bill 5333 would create a special pickleball-inspired plate. The proceeds benefiting Seattle Metro Pickleball Association, which would use the money to build and maintain, of course, more pickleball courts. Do either of you have these special plates? I'm curious about what kind of person does this because it's not just pickleball plate. You can get 4-H, lighthouse, square dancing plates, JP patches, which is kind of weird. I Yeah, that one kind of made me nervous. Uh, yeah, I was... <laughs> <laughs> I'm not from Washington. He's not in my heart. I know he's yeah. beloved. <laughs> I know. I know. But a clown is creepy. I'm sorry. I know that people love him. Yeah. I was cracking up looking at all the different, I had no idea. I thought there was maybe like three specialty plates you could get, but I was looking through and I think just like anything is being a human. You're like, who am I? What defines me? I want people to really know who I am. There's so many. And the one that I thought was the funniest was the amateur radio operator ham plate. <laughs> ham uh, plate which really lacked ham. Like I really wanted there to be like a big country ham on the plate. But um, <laughs> I decided if I had to get one, I'd be a San Juan Islands plate person because it's really pretty mm-hmm. and I like the outdoors and then people would know that about me. Yeah, I'm totally with you. I really liked that the ham one, I could not tell what makes it a specialty plate same. because it looks the same as the other ones. It looks exactly the same. I didn't understand it either. Maybe it just donates. And I didn't know that the ham radio people needed donations either let's do a 5k and help them out if there's anyone listening in the ham radio like universe like it it can answer these questions i would really like to know because i find that really compelling um but trish i really like the square dancer one as well um i just that's a group of folks i'm not involved with square dancing i was like you know yeah they they should have their own plate I might start up a conversation with a square dance plate car just to find out what's going on in there. I don't think I've <laughs> yeah. ever seen one in person. Um, Me neither. Yeah. A lot of these I've actually come to think of it have never seen in person. Um, but Rachel, I think if you're if we're talking about what we feel like might be representative of us as a person, I think mine might be the steelhead. Just because I feel like salmon are such a like un- underappreciated part of our wildlife and like the health of steelhead I feel like is such an important reflection of the health of our environment I feel like orcas and bears are probably gonna be real popular but like rooting for the kind of underdog species here (laughs) on the the license plate well let's hope the pickleball plates do well because apparently there is a huge turf war between pickleball players and tennis players so we're gonna need to build more courts And we are leaving it there. Thanks to my guests, Jane Sihu and Rachel Bell. Really appreciate you two coming on. Thank you so much. I can't wait to show you guys my new license plate. (laughs) Thanks for having us, Trish. Yeah, have a great weekend, you too. 
Thanks for listening to Seattle Now. Vaughn Jones produced today's show. The show is also produced by Caroline Chamberlain Gomez, Claire McGrain, Jenny Cecil Moore, Brandy Fullwood, and Brooklyn Flowers. Matt Jorgensen does our theme music. Seattle Now and KUOW Public Radio are members of the NPR Network. It's an independent coalition of public media podcasters. You can find more shows in the network wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Patricia Murphy. See you Monday.